Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Keep supporting us. We'll get there in the end. Was a message from Oligan Solskjaer directly to fans after Sunday's draw against Chelsea. You have to hope he's right. A run of two wins in ten games is bringing his management under increasing speculation. But more importantly, it's shining an unignorably bright light on the men at the very top of Manchester United. Ed Woodward and the Glazer family. There's been lots of discussion of players too, particularly on the effort of Paul Pogba and others. We'll talk that and a Herrera's contract situation. David De Gea's woeful form that has lost us far too many points recently and more. And as always, there's our regular youth loan and women's roundup on Series 4, Episode 38 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Now, Jack, uh, the game against Chelsea, we were uh, just chatting about, I was watching it in a, in a bar in Buenos Aires and without the sound made me kind of, uh, they were playing music over the top of it, made me less involved in it. But the first half was was a very positive one and led to me celebrating a goal for the first time since I got to South America in the middle of March which is an incredible statistic but more effort better effort and a better performance in a game where we should have won and probably deserves to win as well the first 20 minutes against Chelsea was by far the best that we've, we've played probably in the last month or so we came out of the blocks really, really quickly. We were pressing Chelsea so high up the pitch. I mean, they could barely keep the ball in our half for the first 15 or 20 minutes. And we, we were creating chances throughout throughout that period. Lukaku had a great chance uh, where he got put in one-on-one with a great ball over the top from Shaw. But he couldn't quite finish off. We finally did get that goal from open play that we'd been craving and, and our, our start deserved. And, you know, we let Chelsea back into the game too easily, I think. And it was kind of a similar story as to what happened against Barcelona at the new Camp where we had such a great start against Barca we didn't capitalise on it with a goal and we, we let the opposition back in the game we let them control things too much and really the only difference was that against Barcelona they have so many players that with the quality to punish you and that's exactly what they did whereas with Chelsea the only player with that kind of similar level of quality is Eden Hazard who had a, a pretty off day and it took a David De Gea mistake another David De Gea mistake to, to let Chelsea back into the game in terms of a goal but for the majority of, really from half an hour onwards, we, we were just too passive in the game. We were letting Chelsea into the game far too much. We just don't seem to have that ruthless streak that we had a few months ago. It's kind of a mystery to me where it's gone. But after we scored that first goal, we seem to just rest on our laurels far too easily. We're sitting back, allowing Chelsea back into the game, allowing them far too much control in midfield. And it, it was it, it was a positive performance compared to what we've seen recently but it's also one that feels in some ways more disappointing because of how much better it could have been. Yeah, and in a, in a not quite the same as uh, City, but as you say, similar to Barca, um, where we, we did play OK at certain points in the game and, and didn't capitalise on it. And that's been true far too often in the, in the last few weeks for United, where I think before the goal against um, Chelsea, before Matters' goal, I think we hadn't scored from open play for eight or nine hours of football which is an incredible statistic for a side with so much attacking talent that we have seen at times 
throughout the season and throughout the last few years. Um, and I was actually going to say this when we moved on to the City game in, in, in a few minutes, but I think the two games this week, City and Chelsea, showed more than any other that uh, United's problems at this exact moment, forgetting the big picture, kind of focusing on the problems in the team over the last few weeks, are down to a lack of fitness and therefore not being able to play in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's style. Yeah, absolutely. We we seem to want to play this this high-pressing game, which is what we've had success with under Solskjaer, so it makes sense that that's, that's the way that we want to play, but we just aren't fit enough to do it over 90 minutes. And when that happens, when we do start sitting back and, and getting tired and not not pressing in the same way, we aren't organised enough defensively at the moment to kind of make it work. You know, you, you don't necessarily have to press every minute of the game, if you if you are, do need to drop back because you know you don't have the fitness levels, okay, do that. But we need to have the kind of defensive organisation that we've been lacking for far far too long. And when we don't have that defensive organisation, you see like like what exactly what happened against City. We start dropping deeper, dropping deeper. Especially in midfield, the game gets too stretched because we don't we aren't covering the spaces like we were. And against a team like Man City, they're going to punish you. And that was exactly what happened. Yeah. And uh, it, it does bring questions about Solskjaer's management because we both said that this this run um, is not his fault and that the problems at Manchester United are not only going to Solskjaer's fault. But you have to say, once you recognise that these players are not able to do that for 90 minutes, as a manager, you have to then adapt your team. So either you have to ensure that your players are capitalising on those good periods and you have to go out in, in storming fashion and get a couple of goals in the first half an hour um, now if your players aren't doing that and clearly they're not and we've seen that over the last six or seven games then Solskjaer's got to be coming up with a way to protect the defence as you say to protect the defence for the next hour of the game where United don't have the energy to put the pressure on and play in Solskjaer style now that's obviously only a, a short term solution but it, it, it does have to happen. Yeah, Solskjaer can't be blamed for what he inherited from Mourinho. Not at all. You know, there's only so much you can do in terms of fitness in you know three or four months, especially when you've got so many games to deal with and you don't have you know a pre-season where you can afford to work on fitness for most of the time. But Solskjaer does have to take quite a lot of the blame, I think, for not being able to adapt the way that he wants to play with this squad. Sure, you know, every manager comes in with with an idea of what kind of style they want to play in you know philosophy I guess that they want to try and instill but at the end of the day especially when you come in halfway through a season you have to accept that you're going to have to adapt to what the players are are capable of doing we saw during the first few weeks of Solskjaer being here that we could play this sort of very aggressive style and it worked for a while as the players were a lot more fresh but then as we went through the Christmas period you know a lot of a lot of games and then into the new year when European fixtures started coming up again we started picking up injuries, players, you know, not being not being able to, to sustain this for ninety minutes. And when that happens, you have to be able to adapt as a manager and say, Okay, we're not gonna we're not gonna be able to do this for, for ninety minutes. So let let's not do that. Let's make sure that we are when it comes to, you know, seventy minutes or whatever time in the game it might be, that we aren't a team when half the players are completely out on their feet and, and can barely even contribute to the team at that point, because that's what's been happening a lot of the time. You know, our midfielders, by the time it gets to seventy, seventy five minutes, they can't really track back. It, it gets to the point where we have two or three players that just aren't contributing anything really after 75 minutes. Yeah, definitely. And 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 yet at the same time, the form of the last few weeks has really come down to fine margins of 
Marcus Rashford hitting the bar against Barcelona at the Nou Camp. A goal early in that game could have been in the, in the same fashion as, as the PSG game and mounted a, another famous comeback. Um, David De Gea's mistake against Chelsea, had that not happened, United could have gone on to score another goal and, and secure a comfortable win against Chelsea and, and perhaps finish the season in the top four. Um, and with that, we, we should move on to De Gea. But I think, I think it's worth remembering that a couple of chances here and there and a couple of good finishes or uh, or the disappearance of a couple of goalkeeper mistakes and United would probably be in the top four now and probably not in the Champions League semi-finals but there's a very, very small chance that they could have been had we scored and capitalised on that on that good early spell and that's the fault of of the strikers and, and not being composed enough in, in front of goal. Um, now De Gea... We, we were dominating the first half until De Gea made another inexplicable error. Um, I think the only comforting thing with, with De Gea's recent form is that uh, I don't think it is a decline of him as a goalkeeper because all of the errors have been pretty much completely different. Um, but he has now made more mistakes leading to a goal this season than in the last season, five seasons combined. It's it's quite um it's quite inexplicable really what's happened to to David de Gea over the last month or so it it's just been a string of errors and like you said they've all they've all been different as well which is not not normal when you see a goalkeeper going through a rough patch of form often it's the same thing cropping up again and again every time he he has a shot at him now he looks like he's so nervous he he looks like he's gone back to to 2011 2012 David de Gea where every every time he, the ball came near him he was flapping at it. And he looks so uncomfortable any time the ball comes near him now. I mean, it's quite obvious to see at this point that his confidence is is just on the floor. And if it was up to me, I'd put Sergio Romero in there until the end of the season. I, I think I agree with what Gary Neville said on commentary yesterday that David De Gea just needs a break from football for a while. He needs to clear his head. You know, he's not had to face a spell like this in his career in the last probably six years since he's become the goalkeeper that he has been. And I'm not going to sit here and slate David De Gea because like Solskjaer rightly pointed out if it wasn't for David De Gea we would be in a far far worse place than we are right now you know you think where we would be without him in goal for the last four or five years we let alone missing out on top four a couple of times we'd be finishing seventh every season so I'm not going to sit here and, and slate David De Gea and say that he's finished and we need to sell him because I, I actually agree with you I don't necessarily think it's him being in, in decline as a goalkeeper overall, I think it is just an awful, awful slump in form. The other reason why I would say I don't think we need to sell him is because even if it is an actual decline in him as a goalkeeper, we have Sergio Romero on the bench who, if we had to play him for the for 20, 30 games next season, if De Gea continues like this, I'd be perfectly happy to do so. Yeah, we'll, we'll, look, we'll see if it's a decline, if it's a genuine decline next season if he stays at the club. And if it is, then obviously... United haven't lost actual money they've lost the money that they may have made selling him but that is that's a, a hypothetical situation so it's not like you wouldn't blame anyone for the fact that United didn't sell De Gea if it does turn well, unless he signs a new contract we're not going to get that much for him anyway because yeah. his contract is running down but there were, there were some good points made by um, uh, former goalkeeper turned pundit David Priest who actually analysed De Gea's positioning and whether it was a problem in, in the, the most high profile mistakes he's made so far and found that generally he was actually reacting to, to his defenders the Bernardo Silva goal against City when Silva cuts in from the right hand side and, and finishes at the near post with this kind of slightly 
unorthodox finish, but D- David Priest showed that De Gea um, was was trusting Shaw to protect the near post with a block and so stepped right to cover the far post, which is otherwise where, where Bernardo Silva would have shot. And Shaw didn't protect the near post. So it's actually the defence in front of him too, of course, which we've always known. But there, there's definitely something off the fact that he's dropping shots, the fact that he's making uh, various other mistakes. But David Priest was saying that the blame should be going to Manchester United's defence. And I think we've been we've known that for quite a long time. It's just now De Gea is is not being the complete superhero that, that he once was is the problem um, which is something hard it's hard to criticise him for that oh yeah the, the Bernardo Silva goal to me is, is far more about Luke Shaw not reacting quickly enough to Bernardo shifting the ball than it is about David De Gea the the more concerning one was the second goal letting it in at, at the near post like that and you could see from De Gea's reaction how disappointed he was it's a tough situation at the, at the moment because you know Goalkeeper is such a strange position in football because because it's so different to anything else. And you know, you and I can sit here for as long as, long as we want, but neither of us are, are experts on goalkeepers. So we, you know, we can sit here and say we don't think it's a decline, but realistically, we are, we aren't we aren't qualified to to really be saying whether he is in decline or not. I just think, from what I can tell from the untrained eye, yeah, as David Priest was saying, his positioning doesn't seem to be any worse, and. Even even his shot stopping, it doesn't it doesn't seem to be a problem of, you know, not being agile enough and not being able to get down to react to shots. That to me is more concerning when it when you're thinking about a goalkeeper in decline because when they physically can't move their body quickly enough, he is doing that. It just seems like technically he's not yeah he's not getting in himself in the correct positions to actually keep the shots out. A lot of these mistakes that he's making, he's he's there, he's in the right position to make the save. He's just not actually finish like making the save. Um, and to me, that is a lot easier to fix than if he, you know, like we like we saw from, say, Petr Cech last season, where just physically he isn't able to get into the right position to make saves. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just a goalkeeper is such a strange position. I don't think there's another position in any sport in the world which is so different to the rest of the sport. Yeah. Because you've got, you've got one position in a team of 11 that is just utterly different. You would never get that. There's no position in cricket, which is you always have a few bowlers, a few batsmen, a few all-rounders. In, in NFL, you have a quarterback, of course, but it's, it's, goalkeeper is just such a unique position in, in the world of sport, not in the world of football, in that most people who are football fans just don't really understand anything about goalkeeping, including us. Yeah. We, we couldn't analyse a goalkeeper's position, a goalkeeper's uh, head position, uh, how they go down to the ground. That's, it's such a specific um, intelligence and knowledge that most football fans and pundits don't have. Um, so it, it is good to see more goalkeepers on TV and it's probably best to listen to them when they analyse David De Gea. But we, we can comment on um, on Paul Pogba, who is now, I think now widely seen, even by people who previously liked him as, as selfish and not playing for the team, not trying hard enough. I, I really don't know if that's true. He's not performing as well as he should be, we've always said that, but I just can't see how people watch this United side and their main takeaway from the performance is Paul Pogba isn't trying hard enough. Yes, he could try harder. I think we can say that with quite a lot of certainty, but that's not the thing. I don't come out of United games thinking I was really disappointed in Paul Pogba today. That's not the one thing I take away from it. Maybe it will come to my mind a bit later, but there's this group of United fans have become so obsessed in the way that some fans became so obsessed with praising Pogba, praising Martial. There's now a group who have become so obsessed by focusing on the on the performances of Pogba 
and his attitude that they just they're not looking at the at the bigger picture. Listen, Pogba has not played well in the last two months. Let's just get that out of the way first of all. You know, I don't even need to need to say that really. Everyone can see that he has not been playing up to the standard that we would expect. No way. However, the attention that he gets and the focus that he gets when the team performs badly is mostly, I think, unwarranted. He has not been anywhere near as bad as some of the other players that we've had in the last, in the last or during this run of form for however long it's been going on for now. Yet, he is the one that constantly gets the most scrutiny, the most criticism. And I understand that that comes with being a player that is expected to be our, our best player and is expected to be the one that can make a difference for us in games. So I totally understand why he gets some of the scrutiny that he does. But quite a lot of it is totally unwarranted. And like you said, it's people really watching Pogba more than they're watching the team around him. Because a lot of the, a lot of the games that we've been involved in, involved in Yes, Pogba should have been doing better. There, there's no denying that. But there are much bigger problems around him on the pitch than just Paul Pogba. Look at some of the individual performances that we've had, and he is nowhere near the problem. You know, like Gary Neville was saying last last week that no one should be pointing the finger at Ashley Young because, you know, he's been a great servant to the club. And, you know, all right, yeah. And I, I understand as well that Ashley Young is not in a, in a good spot when he's a makeshift 30-odd-year-old winner you know playing a... Playing at Do you right know what's back. funny about that Ashley Young comment from Gary Neville is think about the I don't know five years ago when Gary Neville was kind of emerging as a, a commentator and a pundit his the thing he got famous and liked for was those rants he'd have about Arsenal and about how Arsenal had lost their their way and lost their ruthlessness was a big thing and how they were giving contracts to injured players they were constantly going with the same players there were no leaders the defence had, had no leaders in it that is exactly the kind of thing that led Arsenal to where they were, is saying, no, you can't criticise this player because he served the club well, because he's good when he's not injured. And that's exactly the kind of thing that's happening yeah. at United now, particularly with that Ashley Young thing. But the, I wanted to um, quote and steal a lot of a, a great piece I read on Paul Pogba from Jonathan Wilson. It was probably the best piece so far on Pogba during his time back in England since joining from Juventus. The subtitle was, no midfielder, even the Ballon d'Or winner can do everything. So why is Pogba held to that standard? And the two key points in, in the article was one is that Luka Modric doesn't score and he barely assists either. De Bruyne doesn't tackle well. Thiago Alcantara is too weak. Busquets never shoots. Cruz is poor in the air and too slow. Matuidi is woeful at set pieces. Verratti hasn't scored any of PSG's 203 goals in Ligue 1 in the last two seasons. Pjanic is poor in big games when he's put under pressure. Kante's shooting is bad and so too is his final ball. The, the, the point being that no midfield is complete even the Ballon d'Or winner in Luka Modric and the others at his level like Kroos and Kante and etc. And so why is Pogba expected to be complete? And, it, and it's true because the, the demands of Pogba are enormous. They are, the demands are to score frequently, to create United's chances, to control the midfield, to sprint back and defend and help to start the attacks. And yes, he can be playing better, but no player has ever fulfilled a role like that. And that leads to the second point, the second point being that United's history of, of do-it-all midfielders um, and English footballs makes the judgement of Pogba so much stronger. Keane, Robson, Edwards, in reverse order, three men who have done it all at United all at once. But I don't think you can have that player anymore, running from box to box and controlling everything, because football's just played too quickly now. 
counter-attacks are faster, passing is quicker, the whole game has been transformed. You, you can't have one individual um, running a game entirely. And I, th- I, I, I think you have to bear that in mind when critiquing Paul Popper, and he does deserve criticism. That's, that's not, not trying to defend him from all of that. But this is a man who's our top scorer and top assister this season. I think partly Pogba suffers from the fact that his game is at his best when he his starting position is deep. And because of that, when he starts saying what would normally be considered sort of a natural central midfield position, then the assumption is that he's going to be as good in defence as he is going forward. You know, say he's like someone in the mould of Ander Herrera, who can't, is nowhere near the heights of Pogba in attack, but his game is relatively well-rounded, even though it's not exceptional in any one area. But Pogba's game has never been like that. Pogba's game has always been massively one-sided in that he is a much more comfortable and better player when he's going forward than he is in defence. The problem, though, is that because he is better better when he's coming from deep, as we've seen by the numerous times we've tried to play him as a number 10 or even sort of a false nine, and it, and it, it just hasn't worked, the, the fact that he starts so deep then makes everyone assume that he should be one of these players that is as good defensively as he is going forward. Now, I'm not saying that his defensive work doesn't need to improve, because it does, if he is going to play, play from the central, mid, central midfield position. But I agree, I agree with what that article was saying, in that I think some of the burden placed on him is excessive, based on... I think a lot of it boils down to... Well, I think it boils down to a couple of things. One, the initial price tag that we paid for him. In the same way that any player that comes for a massive amount of money, the one that springs to mind for me is, for me is John Stones, and the, the massive amount of, of stick he got in, in his first season at City because he was such an expensive defender. And so when you come with that kind of price tag, everyone expects you to be able to do everything to justify this money when really it's not your fault that you know you got made the most expensive player in the, in, in the world or whatever it, whatever it costs to bring him in, you know? And second, I think a lot of it boils down to being a black player with a lot of confidence and a lot of flair not being accepted by British media you know I, you can't you can't get away from the effect that racism has in the whole Paul Pogba scenario and we've seen it with Raheem Sterling we've seen it with so many so many black players in the Premier League where the focus is constantly on their physical attributes and their attitude rather than their technical ability and they aren't judged in the same way that, that white players are now listen I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say every single person that talks about Paul Pogba is you know, has you know racist thoughts in their head when they're talking about him. But I do think there are massive racial undertones to a lot of what gets said about Paul Pogba, and that's not me trying to say that any criticism, all the criticism of him is is unfair because it isn't. There is a lot to criticise him about, but a lot of the things that are said about him, I think, are unfounded at, or at least at least just tentative at best. And a lot of it, I think, boils down to sort of racial undertones that are being thrown at him. Yeah, and uh, th- there was another point. Uh, um, uh, the 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 way that Popper runs, that kind of the lanky legs and kind of relaxed way. He always looks relaxed on the pitch, which when he's playing well, you just sit there and think, "Oh my god, what a, what an incredible player to be able to do this while looking so just like relaxed and calm and composed." And when he's playing badly, and what well, more importantly, when Manchester United are playing badly, it's a source of frustration. But it's just the way it's the way that he runs. 
it's the same as, as Dimitar Berbatov back in 2009, 2010, always looking like he's lazy when, when I don't think either of them really, really were lazy at all. Um, and I don't want to, we don't, yeah, yeah, but very similar to, to, to the Mesut Ozil situation. And if you look at Ozil at Arsenal, has that ever kind of, has thing, have things ever smoothed out? No, and they never will. Ozil will leave Arsenal with a large percentage of the Arsenal fan base disliking him and calling him lazy and thinking he's never provided anything of, of true significance to Arsenal Football Club. And when Popper leaves United, whether that is this summer, next summer, in five years, there will be sections of United fan base who still don't like him. Um, but I, another line I wanted to steal from the, the Jonathan Wilson article to kind of finish off um, was how many of the of the players, Modric, Cruz, etc., can tackle or leap like Popper? How many possess his agility or straight line speed? How many can boast Popper's array of options for beating a man or getting out of a tight spot? And perhaps most saliently of all, how many of the so-called great central midfielders in world football can match Popper's blunt numbers? The fact that he scored 13 goals this season and nine assists in, in what has been seen as a very bad season for him. Um, and then the role of the central midfielder today is everything. It is to be number 10, ball winner, uh, shuttler, scuffler, false winger, creator, destroyer. And no one can, can be able to do that. And the final line in, um, in, the, in the Jonathan Wilson article is, it's to Popper's immense credit that on his best days, he sometimes gets close to genuinely being the complete midfielder. Now, uh, Iko Yugual asks, would missing out on the Champions League be such a bad thing for the club? Seriously, there's so much that needs ironing out that uh, that competition seems to cover up any time we qualify for it. Um, yeah, I, I get the point. The Europa League would be a good chance to, to play some um, young players. Mason Greenwood, T. Chong, Adrian Gomez, Ethan Laird. Uh, Jimmy Garner, perhaps Leo Connor, um, Dean Henderson if he returns from loan, whoever. And yes, it would probably be a kick up the arse again for the Glazers and perhaps they would finally react to it this time and to Ed Woodward. Um, but we'd always like to be in the Champions League, I think. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I, I, understand, I understand the point from EK. There's been a, quite a lot of talk in the last week about why do we want to be in a competition where when we have no chance of winning it and realistically just going to kind of go through the motions hopefully make it through the group and then probably end up with an early knockout round exit so I, I do understand the point but we've seen that being in the Europa League before hasn't hasn't given us the kick up the arse that people think and and to me being in the Champions League is still worth it even if it means that we do go out say in the last 16 because you know Honestly, to me, I would rather not be in Europe at all than, than play in the Europa League because what, what benefit do we get from playing in the Europa League re- realistically? We still, we, it's not like we get any, any less games, so it's not like we, our Premier League campaign is helped in any way because we end up playing on Thursday night instead of Tuesday or Wednesday and then you have an extra knockout round as well if you get that far. A lot of the journeys are further away to a lot of places in Eastern Europe as well. So for the players, it, it's probably even worse to be in the Europa League in some ways, I would much rather us not not get in Europe at all if we're if we're not in the Champions League. But honestly, I, while I understand the point from Ek, and I I do I do understand the sentiment of oh, well, why do we want to be in a competition where there's no point in winning it? For me, I, I always want to see us play in the Champions League. I want to see us play in the best clubs in the world, even if we're getting beat by them every time. And and I think that that is what that is what's most important to me. 
Yeah, I would agree. Now we've got another question which we'll answer uh, nearer the end of the podcast when we look ahead to the Huddersfield game. But for now, um, the youth loan and women's round, starting with the youth, United's under-18s concluded their uh, league campaign this week, finishing fourth. They played 22 games over the course of the season, scoring 60 goals and conceding 39. So always entertaining. Mason Greenwood, the obvious standout um, over the course of the season, but it was Damani Mellor who scored a hat-trick on the final day in a 5-4 loss to Everton, a crazy game. Greenwood didn't play, um, he finishes the season, uh, though there are some games left that he could play at various levels, um, but he finishes the season with 30 goals and 12 assists in 29 games at under-18s on the 19 and under-23 levels, that's you know, it's, uh, ridiculous uh, stats. He did play for the under-23s in uh, over the last week in a 3-2 loss to Wolves, uh, he scored a superb goal in a move started with a, a nice trick from Tahis Chong, passed inwards to Angel Gomez and then Greenwood finished first time with a, uh, a cool finish into the far bottom corner. Perhaps we will see that in the first team in a couple of years' time. Um, disappointing loss for the under-23s, uh, including one finish which went over the line from United, uh, wasn't given as a goal, and then Wolves went the other end and, and scored uh, and uh, managed to come back from, from being down and win 3-2. So that's disappointing. Now, I won't go... Um, into too much depth on loan players but Dean Henderson the young United goalkeeper earned promotion to the Premier League with Sheffield United after a seriously impressive season for him he is adored by the Blades fans was voted young player of the year at the club and, and could stay with them next season in the top flight talks are going on about that now between him Woodward Sheffield United Solskjaer um, but he is genuinely a potential replacement for Dare in a few years time and centre-back Axel Twanze were also involved in the Skybet Championship playoffs um, and promotion uh, matters playing Faston Villa against Leeds and has helped them to secure a playoff place so they're also getting great experience Axel Twanzebe United's women's team celebrated their recent title triumph with a 5-0 win against Millwall that took their goal tally for the season up to a, a pretty mental crazy 93 goals in the league this season um, now Jack Huddersfield Sunday I think at 2pm um, in the UK, I've been adjusting to South American times for, for matches. I think this one's at about 10 in the morning for me, uh, which is always very strange and makes it much more difficult to find a bar showing it. So I'm sometimes left trying to stream it uh, on some dodgy Argentinian Wi-Fi. Um, but United have two games left in the league this season. It's very, very unlikely that United will make the top four. They've got Huddersfield and Cardiff. Um You've got to win both games, Huddersfield and Cardiff are both rubbish. Um, and the the tricky decision is, do you play um, the, the first team players to then decide who you want to get rid of in the summer or do you give the kids a chance? I think, for the, at least for the first game, I think we have to go with the first team players. As unlikely as it is that we, that we are going to get top four at this point, based on what has happened with everyone else recently, I think... It might be a risk that we don't want to backfire on us late, later on if, say, we play all the youngsters, we lose, and then Chelsea, Arsenal and Tottenham all lose as well, which, as crazy as that might sound, based on everyone's form in the last few weeks, is maybe not as crazy as it, as it once would have been. Then, obviously, it, we have a much better idea of, of what it would come down to on the final day and, and, you know, blood the youngsters, breathe some new life into the club. I don't think the reason to play the first team players is anything to do with figuring out who you should keep and who you should let let leave at the end of the season. Ultimately, after the amount of time Solskjaer's been here and how long most of those players have been at the club, I think that decision, those decisions, should have been made already, or at least, you know, enough they have put it, put in enough kind of evidence to to give Solskjaer 
enough to, to know whether he wants those players to stay or leave. It's quite poetic in a way that our last two games of the season are, I believe, the two games that Solskjaer started with against Cardiff and Huddersfield. And it's strange how close the feeling around the club is now to what it was when Solskjaer first took over. It, it's not that bad as it was under Mourinho. No way. But, you know, it, it just shows you everything about the ups and downs that we've had over the last few months since Solskjaer took over. Obviously, the massive high of the great run when he started. But now things have, have really come shattering down to earth. And hopefully, we can go to Cardiff and Huddersfield and, and put in performances like those that we put in during Solskjaer's first few games and get some positivity back into this club going into the summer. Because as I said a few weeks ago, there was a possibility that we might end up end up this season sixth, having had a really bad run to end the season and, and all of that negativity come flow, flowing back. And we are kind of seeing that come true. And I think regardless of where we finish in the league, whether we finish fourth or sixth, we have to win these last two games. It is very, very important for the for the mood around the club going forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think he'll go full strength against Huddersfield and Cardiff, perhaps with the one exception of, of playing Antonio Valencia in the final game and final home game of the season against Cardiff on May the 12th, which I think is, is fair enough. Um, Valencia's been terrible for the last two seasons, but he has been a, a good servant to Manchester United, involved in many uh, victorious campaigns, including runs to the Champions League finals and stuff. So he would deserve a, a final send-off at Old Trafford. Um, for the Huddersfield game, I'm going to go with a prediction of uh, 2-0 to Manchester United. Uh, get a, a solid but not necessarily completely convincing victory against one of the worst Premier League sides of all time. I'll ask your prediction in a second, but first we've got a question from uh, at Fallen and Laughing on Twitter who says, I believe we need a leader to demand more and inspire on the field. It needs to be an ever-present on the field. A Roy Keane figure, if you will. Do we have that personality in the squad now? Young may be a positive personality, but should not be on the pitch. The short answer is no, we do not have that personality. Can we find it in world football? I, I genuinely don't think there are that many leaders in, in football these days. There are leaders, but there are not Roy Keane figures, so... We're not going to find another Roy Keane. I think leaders today are different, like you said, to what they used to be. And I think leaders today, it's more about leading by example with your performances. The the, the one that I, that I point to at the moment is Virgil van Dijk. Obviously just won PFA Player of the Year, deservedly so. And even though I, I wouldn't characterise van Dijk as, as a traditional leader in that Roy Keane sort of mould. You don't see him running around the pitch screaming at his teammates at the top of his lungs. He's not that sort of enforcer type player but he leads by example on the pitch because he never puts a foot wrong and, and you know that you can rely on him how many players do we have like that in our team the only one it used to be until recently was David De Gea and it's very hard for a goalkeeper to be that type of leader for when they're kind of so detached from the rest of the game we just don't have any players that are dependable enough to call leaders yet that ultimately is what ends up making you into a leader it's when your teammates know they can rely on you to put in consistently good performances all year round and that is what we're lacking yeah and I think what United need more than one individual leader is a dressing room full of characters who are pushing each other on um, which at the moment certainly does not exist uh, now your your prediction for Huddersfield I'll go with a very scrappy very Mourinho-esque 1-0 win via a Pogba penalty that would be classic, another another penalty goal to get us a win against the rubbish side. 
would be would be disappointing. Hopefully, even if we're going full strength for these games, hopefully we see uh, Greenwood, Gomez, Chung, whoever, Garner, um, making an appearance on the bench and hopefully coming off the bench for, for 20, 30 minutes to, to get a chance and get some good experience. Now, um, that's all we have time for on Series 4, Episode 38 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you for listening, as always. Uh, been a pleasure these last two weeks to be um, speaking about Manchester United and venting our frustration out again. Uh, after I was away for a few weeks um, not long to go in the season and the weird thing is there's not long to go in the season I kind of hope it would end because it's been so atrocious over the last few weeks and yet um, already I'm not looking forward to um, to not watching United at the weekend because even when we lose it's just it's, it's still nice to watch Manchester United play um, now for more from Jack throughout the week you can follow him on Twitter at at UTD Tate's T-A-I-T and you can find me on Twitter at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod. That's POD at the end there. Thanks for listening as always. Have a great week. Goodbye. Network.